Welcome to Fargo Talks Fargo, a podcast on the FX television series Fargo by me, Bill, a dude who lives in Fargo, and my pal Sharpie, who used to live in Fargo and grew up here and now doesn't live in Fargo. Can I say Fargo some more, Fargo? I moved away from Fargo, but I used to live in Fargo. I'm Sharpie. (laughs) Hi, Sharpie. Hi. I don't even know where to start this week uh, with the bigger breakdown because... I feel like I got to give some, did you have a chance by, and if you didn't, it's going to be okay. They'll be okay. Did you have a chance to read any of the emails I forwarded you? Uh, no. The pause (laughs) is just going to tell me no. Well, here's the deal. I do want to give a shout out to all the people who've written in. Uh, Thanks, Marissa, for sending in some great stuff. Beverly, Danielle, all sorts of people sending in great stuff. And if we... I, this way I don't have to pull up everything and reference you, but we've had all sorts of Mark has sent in some really great uh, uh, things as well. And um, Baron. Bill, and so, I can't so, possibly sift so. through the hundreds and hundreds of emails that we get I every see, week. But when I get longer ones, then I'm like, ooh, you got to break these down, bruh. But yeah. okay, so we can there start will be some things in here. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping to make some references to people, but uh, our pal Marissa, she's, uh, she, we were on their podcast that does some Fargo stuff a, a while ago, and we still need to get back on their show again. But um, yeah, she's she's totally on the same path we are uh, about a house. You know how she was mentioning that there's like a house divided. You know, a house falling mm-hmm. on somebody to kill them mm-hmm. is kind of a house divided as well. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's some total. There's some. There's some pretty serious gifts in here, and. But a lot of it was same track. Some of it was same track as us. And, you know, I should also say, you know, everything we think doesn't make the show. Uh, We wish it could, but we try to keep them within reason. Uh, We'll reach into that little mailbag there and pull out a nugget. I know. Well, that's the thing. And Beverly also was pointing out, and I, I feel like you and I have talked about it, but I don't know if it's happened on the show, that Kansas City, Missouri has another sibling city called Kansas City, Kansas, Um, which is funny because I remember when I drove to Kansas City for the first time, I was like, do we exit here? I'm like, no, that's the wrong Kansas. That's a shitty one in Kansas. Sorry, people in Kansas, Uh, which Kansas City, Kansas was founded after Kansas City, Missouri. So whatever. But uh, yeah, all sorts of great stuff because some people are writing in about the differences between the book and the movie. I tend to think we're Leaning more more towards movie. Also, Marissa brought up The Wiz. If you haven't seen mm-hmm. that, go ease on down the road and check that out. Um, but yeah, lots of really good stuff. And to answer a question I know that Beverly had, she wanted to know if we have any insight on how the show is filmed and when it's written. Um, I can't say exactly for sure, but we do know that in previous seasons we've recorded the show when we did have connections to production people that while shows were airing, like episode one, two, three, and we were talking with people. The mm. show was not even finished being edited yet. That's correct, yeah. So, yes, things I think have been written and shot in in very close time frame to when they come out. Some things finish way ahead of schedule, but a show like this, I think, you know, between shooting and post-production, and writing, post-shooting, and post-production happens a lot faster than people think. Yeah, but I think the pandemic kind of throws that all out the window this year. Who knows? I have no, I have no concept now as to how things are going in the production world. No, I just mean just in general, though. We can say that, you know, 
they were still sometimes before the show has aired, you know, the last episode, like, well, episode five is airing. They're probably wrapping up episode like 10 sometimes. Yeah. We've, we've had that happening. I think even maybe not Maggie talked about that when we've interviewed Maggie, the music supervisor. Before. We've talked about shows that weren't finished up until the day they were supposed to air the day before they were supposed to air. Oh yeah. Like South park. If you've <laughs> ever seen that documentary, but but yeah, lots of great stuff coming in from people. Please keep it going. If we don't get back to you, it's not that we're not seeing it. We try to I try to drop a note back when I can, but I probably didn't this, see it. Let's you did not. <laughs> I do sometimes. I do send them to you though. Please please let, <laughs> please know that I do. I share them with Sharpie. I cannot make him read them. Uh I get boy. to them eventually. Usually on Sundays. That's my mail opening yeah. day. I'm I'm definitely down with Otis being the the number five Leo. And even his tics and his OC behaviors, I've noticed after I've been counting him for a while. I just hadn't mentioned it, I don't think, but but Danielle caught that uh, as well. And yeah, so many things, mm. so many things. So what what do you think? Have you had well, some time? You know what I find to be a pretty big deal in this episode, which okay. it's such a small little one shot but it makes it's going to like change the story indefinitely like this is, is this going to make me mad that this is that situation where you and I get pissed off at Apple because we can't screenshot <laughs> because no, the screenshots no, are blocked no it's nothing like that it's nothing hidden. no i just meant like it's, that uh, we can't share it that we can't share it with each other <laughs> like, it's, i was going to send you no. something earlier and i thought ah forget it i'd have to take my phone out of my pocket take a yeah. picture but what do you take got your, take your phone out take a picture of your screen um <laughs> No, just one shot with no dialogue, just Deffy okay. and a carrot, and now that will change that character's dynamic for the rest of the show because he now, so he's sitting outside of Otis's house, his apartment, yes. as he yes. sees the cannon crew come in and out. So now he knows that Otis is talking with the cannon crew or something's going on there. Yeah. And so that's going to change that relationship forever. He knows he's possibly a dirty cop. He knows that something fishy's going on. I mean, he probably already well, I think he already knew it, but yeah. He knew he was a dirty cop before when he went to the Pud Tuggin place. Yeah. But now he knows he's a two-sided coin. Mhm. Yeah, I think I hope it comes back to something good because otherwise they're kind of I, I find it hard to throw away an actor like Timothy Oliphant. He's got to come back in a big way in the next few uh, like episodes. Yeah, it was probably a, a budgetary issue. <laughs> <laughs> we could only afford him for so many. We can we can get Deffy in for one shot this this episode. Uh, quick, quick, grab a carrot. You think <laughs> Have a snack. Uh, so? Speaking of carrots, um, I mentioned this a little bit earlier in a previous episode, mm-hmm. but um, you can definitely get this weird discoloration by eating too many carrots. Yeah, um, it's, it's the beta if carotene. You, if you eat all that beta carotene, you can suffer from what's called carotinemia. And that Are is you where worried, your skin turns you orange. Turn orange. That'd be great. Is that your deep <laughs> concern for d- <laughs> Dick Deffy Wickware? No, but gonna... I am just fascinated by carotinemia. Car- car- how would you say that? Carotinemia? Keratinemia. Uh, you know how I, think you I just wouldn't gotta say it. Go buy That's it. That's how I would do yeah, it. Yeah, you just got to brush by it really fast. Keratinemia. 
Yeah. Uh, well, let's uh, let's attempt to have our usual walk through the episode where we may meander forwards and backwards. How about that? Now Maybe. that we've talked, or wait, is there any more about that, or you just wanted us to make sure? Um, we... Prediction. Prediction. Dick time. Deffy is going to get keratinemia and turn orange, and oh, he's an Oompa Loompa. Uh-oh. Oh wait, that's Willy Wonka. <laughs> totally wrong story. We're talking <laughs> Wizard of Oz that, here. Did you, did you did you have that all lined up and you just had your own epiphany that you're like in the wrong children's movie? No, no, that one was off the cuff. But I like it. I like it. We're talking about a mashup here. So this is the mashup theory. It's Come Willy Wonka me. meets Wizard of Oz. Willy of Oz. <laughs> And Willy Dick Deffy is going to turn orange and turn into an Oompa Loompa. He's actually going to split off into many, uh, many Oompa Loompas. He's going to divide. Well, with that kind of healthiness, he's not a part of the Lollipop Guild. So, Yeah, Lollipop Guild. There you go. <laughs> Were they orange too? <laughs> you really want this? Is this a? If you keep trying, it'll be. I'm true. just gonna keep like wedging it in there. Okay, yeah. so that's my prediction for this week. What else this you got? Uh random. Okay, fine. We're playing random thoughts of the day. Uh, I rewatched the opening scene and I realized that the bus is always yellow on the bottom half. That's her yellow brick road. If in fact she is, I think there's possibly. And I think some people listening would agree there's possibly more than one person who could be Dorothy, but yeah, we'll talk about that the later. The bus is yellow on the bottom half and green, green in the middle, the- I think, and like blue or white on top. Yeah. Um, white on top. And so, yeah, it's, it is like yellow brick road. So that's a great call, Bill. Um, yeah. Because it's like a yellow brick road with like the green hills and the white sky. Yeah. Awesome. So I don't really have anything to say outside of creepiest birthday party ever. Sorry about your your birthday party. Sorry about your birthday party, Ethel Rita. Don't you love, though, that the parents went through the effort to make one slice of cake? Cake to to kind of like... Well, so is it all frosting or is is it like actual cake in there? I don't know, man. If it was all frosting, she'd get to it and that'd be even more of a conversation, wouldn't it? Yeah. I Ugh. think so they had to make a whole cake. Wait, so did they have to make a whole No, they obviously didn't make no, a no, whole no, cake just for the wedge because then they just use the whole cake. So they just made <laughs> Wow, you're really on a roll tonight. Are you doing okay? Uh, so they made just one piece of cake? I I think we're stretching here. I don't know what they did, but the point is is that they cared enough to fill it in. And then they had this awkward hug. And then they sang to her in the dark, and Snowman's in the back, which, by the way, turns out if you watch to the credits at the end, which I haven't been doing, Snowman is in the credits. It was in the credits, so I had to go look. Snowman is in the credits of the very first episode, too, mm. played by Will Klinger, and it just says Snowman. Billy so, Klinger. Good old Will Klinger. Billy Klinger, the gunslinger. Yeah. But not no more with those frozen... Fingers. Yeah. And we got the, uh, the, I mean, do you, do you want to go down the big roll of what? I mean, I feel like we're pretty summed up on Otis being the lion. There's fives everywhere. Uh, it was pointed out to us in one of our 
our comments from our emails that I think when the door opens, you can see that number six is across the hall, which would make his number five. And what? That's amazing. Because you, you said you said the other day that you were like you kept counting everything. There's five plates back there. There's all these things, but five that plates, shower scene five is, cups, five rows of four dolls, yeah. which is twenty, which is divisible by five, and he counts to ten little Indians, which is also divisible by five. But uh, anyway, the whole point though is is that um, the you know there's a couple scenes in there. That are very, you know, it's like half, um, I can't remember the, I can't remember the other scene, Mark will kill me, because he sent us a tweet, and I don't have that open at the moment, but it's half one scene from uh, No Country for Old Men, that's the one, the strangle scene, it's half strangle mm. scene from No Country for Old Men, and half uh, Fargo with the shower curtain. So it's yeah, like a, I'll take it's it. a, it's a double up on that, and then Loy goes into his kind of wonky what if these dolls didn't want to be owned and rose up and i i don't know then all of a sudden you want to crush those i just those thought dolls. of something i made a fun i made a weird comment let's come back to, let's come back for a minute to your carrots yes i knew it i knew the carrots were coming into play <laughs> I, all i wrote all i wrote after i mean this is literally the notes i have Lois having a bad day too, 400 years of history fight, like these dolls being owned. And I said, they own Deffy now. And then I wrote dot, dot, dot. And of course, Mr. Carrot sees. You know, I just thought of people who eat, you know, they always say carrots are good for eyesight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's because Deffy sees what he wants. Or, you know, he hears what he wants to, but it's because he sees everything. Mm-hmm. Maybe you think so? It's the carrots that give him that. Yeah, sight. he's the all-seeing eye and that orange glow. <laughs> and that <laughs> just want to tie it back. Healthy to you. orange glow. Although the fact that carrots make you see better is not true. Have oh, it's a total. Story? It's totally fake. It was propaganda. Well, to... of course, isn't isn't most marketing kind of propaganda? Oh, Bill, maybe. Hmm. Anyway, it was propaganda by the um, British, I believe, right? Because they were trying to. I thought it was the the National Beet Society, Root Vegetable Growers Association. No. No, it was in during World War II. They were trying to um, hide the fact that they'd invented radar, and because people were saying, like, how do the British know when the like German Luftwaffe are like coming in all the time? And they were like, oh, because they eat so many carrots. Carrots make you see better and all this stuff. And they made up this whole fallacy about how the army could see better, the defense could see better because of their carrot diet. But really they had invented radar. Mm. And that's that's how they could see the Germans coming in. Yeah. I mean, I probably got like half of that right. So look it up yourself, folks. Yeah. Anything we say, take take with an enormous grain of salt. So you know who else? uh, You know, you know where else the carrots come into play? Where? Snowmen. What do they have? Carrots for noses. Mm. Think about it. Deffy's gonna team up and give the snowman his nose back because it's fallen off from frostbite. So at the very end, the orange glowing Deffy pops in with his little orange carrot. Boop, 
puts his little carrot nose on the Put snowman. Right, right back on the snowman, and he goes, there you go, buddy. <laughs> right in that raunchy, rotted out hole in his face. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah A nice yeah. crisp, crinkle-cut carrot. Well, how do I segue us to some Italian <laughs> opera from that? Let's get mm-hmm. into it. Tu che Dios picas di lali. Right? That is good. Your Italian is I getting so good, I don't think I though. said any of that right. That is the uh, Lucia, 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 Lucia di Lammermore. That is the uh, opera that's being played in the background. Oddly enough, composed by somebody named Gaetano Donizetti. But Gaetano shocker is a very popular name. Shocker. In the end of this opera, people die. <laughs> I thought these people were supposed to be about love. They love and then they all die. Hmm. So I rewatched this whole uh, scene, this Gitano scene, because I was, I was like, "What the hell?" And because you were just infatuated with his little like strongman attire, doesn't he kind of look no. like a, a strong a strongman in a circus? <laughs> I don't know. I just keep thinking he's. He's not as tough as he says he is in a way. Have you noticed he actually oh, hasn't yeah, done he hasn't done any of the things he I mean, I know he shot the kid in the the shop, but he didn't kill doctor. He made Calmita do it. He's stabbing a a sewing dummy. Yeah, he and shot then he shoots the wrong too. He shot Paolo. Yeah, Paolo, but uh yeah, you can see it in this uh actors like he has these crazed eyes, you know, and he's speaking all tough like. But then when it comes down to action, he is like fumbling around and his eyes are like bigger and waterier. <laughs> waterier? Well, well, that's they why they don't I look as these... like menacing or psychopath. They look like a scared little cat. Well, is like there. Peg like Pete. There's. There, I keep. I'm really thrown off by the, the, you know, if we're talking our Oz stuff, the character of the scarecrow. I just don't know who's dumber sometimes, if it's Josto, if it's Gaetano, and I'll mention something else later. Mm. But I, I want, I want to rewatch this. I thought, I'm really surprised. You know what it's like when it's cold outside, but maybe it wasn't that warm in the house. But if somebody opened a window behind me in the winter in the Midwest, maybe, I don't know, I don't know what Kansas City's like, but boy, that would be a chill of cold air when the window behind you opened where Swanee snuck in. Mm. It'd be mighty cold. It's December. Kansas City's pretty humid, I imagine. Yeah. But in uh, true Rado Piarlo fashion, they're the, they both raised their gun in sync. It was pretty, it's a pretty cool shot. It is pretty a, cool. And from you a cinematography standpoint. Absolutely correct in the hot dish when you said maybe Swanee just kind of like meant to like graze him. And you can see in that shot, Right when she's about to shoot him, you see her like tilt the gun right to the side, and boom, she does. You, she does purposely just barely nick him. Well, not barely. I mean, it's a pretty good gash, but oh man, you should see it if you slow it down and like watch it back. It's like it puts like a like just a razor line through yeah. the side of his head, like yeah. like a good six seven inches long, and so it's very. It's very clear, and if you if you pause, if you're one of those people like us who pause, I I don't know. There's there's just something so great too about uh, Zelmer in the end of the hall in that silhouette, uh, very witchy. I thought. Yeah, she does look like a little bit of a wicked witch. 
She's got that green and black on. She's got the hat. But mm. I don't know. I'm making all sorts of prognostications off this episode that are unnecessary. But it really um, took but- me that second watch through to see that very, very subtle movement right. of Swanee Cap's gun. Like so that I mean that must show some of her skill a little bit as a um a murderer. A, a gunslinger. <laughs> I'm trying to find a word for like an expert. Yeah. A gunsmith. Yeah. Uh marksman. There you go. That's there the word go. I'm looking for. Marksman. Well, I was trying to figure out what was going on with Swanee's hat. And if you get to like nine minutes forty seconds and pause, it's a very clear picture that there are what appear to be like barley or wheat patterns sewn into this kind of like dusty looking hat of hers. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. So I don't know if this is what I'm saying. I'm just like, I'm all over the map with scarecrows. You there's know, because of, there's a lot of barley and wheat references in this episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, it did clear some things up for me though. The whole, um, I was at first I went because my original notes were like, whoa, geez, Gatano's dead. And then they, she actually says, nah, he's still breathing. <laughs> eh, never mind. He's still she breathing. She knows what she's doing. Don't worry about it. She's got it she, down. She was able to shoot him in the head just right enough to knock him out. <laughs> just shoot him and knock him out. Well, I mean, just the, concu- the, con- the, you know, the concussion blast from that is probably pretty serious. You know, percussion. Would you say, or is that, yeah, what would that be? Waves that come, yeah. Words, man. Words are hard. So we end up with, uh, we end up with the dude getting dragged off and he wakes up chained to a wall. Not so fun. And he's still talking shit. Still talking shit. Because now he really can't do anything about it, so he might as well just talk shit. Yeah, Lloyd Lloyd definitely gets a lot of speeches done in this uh, season. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got this speech and, now on Sugar Ray Robinson. Yeah, I used I to miss call him the, Willie. Yeah, do you know what Sugar Ray Robinson's real name was? Oh, what was it? It was Walker Smith Jr. Hmm. So flyweight to welterweight, which takes you from about 115 to 152 pounds. But hey, he's got reach. I cannot imagine being 115 pounds. <laughs> well, if you start boxing young, keep it lean. I don't know. So, I do worry that the pace of this episode's got me missing things. You know? What do you know about Sugar Ray Robinson? Not very much. Are you going to enlighten me? Probably not. But oh, um, I don't know that much either. <laughs> oh, but God, jeez. I mean, there's a few things. Uh, I mean... Did you ever see Raging Bull? Mm-hmm. So, it's been a while. I haven't seen Raging Bull since like 19... I know the exact year I watched it because I remember where I was. It's the first and only time I've seen Raging Bull. So I saw Raging Bull in January of 1998. Now, oh, that is very specific. Oh, it was because it was. Uh, we were uh, just coming off Christmas break, and I watched it with my friend Josh mm-hmm. at our house. Well, one of the boxers in Raging Bull, uh, Jake LaMotta. Jake LaMotta, baby. Yeah, so uh, he was a, sh- a, a rival of Sugar Ray Robinson. 
Hmm. That's Labata. right. Does that sound Italian to you? It does. Hmm. So as you know from Raging Bull, Lamata got into some trouble for um he had this he was a great boxer, had a like huge winning streak, and then all of a sudden one day lost a bout and turned out it was fixed. And he got into a lot of trouble for that. Um but he still was a great boxer, and Sugar Ray Robinson and Jake LaMotta had this like big rivalry, which ended, I believe, in 1951, which is the year that we are currently in, in Fargo, in Kansas City. Are we in 51, or we're close to it, at least? It was 1950, I, I think. I think we're in 51 now, aren't we? I don't know. Well, no, I think it's December of 1950. Oh. Okay. Christmas, bro. Either way, so still... Well, it ended in... That, that rivalry ended in 1951. This is going to yeah. go through December, and we're going to end in 1951. Yeah. A black guy, an Italian guy. A black gang, an Italian gang. Think will they it. end this nicely, or will this end poorly? I'm going with poorly. Mm. Just saying. So, uh, poor Mr. Tucker's got gout. I think... Everything that happened in this scene is exactly what we think it was. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be. This is gonna. This is gonna pay off later. But I had a thought when I rewatched this scene, and I kind of want to know what you think. Okay. We and I'm this. This is seriously. This is a stretch. <laughs> I'm trying. I don't know who Orietta is yet, but I also think she could be a wicked witch. Mm-hmm. And I sit there and think, well, she's missing all the typical things, right? But then I thought, what is typical? That's my bias, right? That evil people wear black and do these things. And then I thought, "Mm, what if everything's inverted? So what what if the good aunt, you know, Zelmar is the good witch, and the evil witch is actually wearing white in a nurse's outfit. Mm-hmm. That's just my thought. Yeah. I don't think that's too much of a stretch. Uh, she's no, definitely but it's just, evil. Yeah. I just can't place what she is. And she's, she's after, in a way, you know, like, I'll get you my pretty kind of, you know, all that kind of stuff where she's after uh Ethel Rita, it seems like she's after her and she's gonna take her hostage and everything about eventually. her is witchy. The her movements, her the fact that she's like dealing with potions, you could say, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. chemicals and concoctions. That's a witchy yeah. thing to do. And we've seen on lots of people's desks there's been dog figurines and on Dr. Harvard's desk there's a picture of a dog. So I just think that's the way Toto is sort of showing up consistently Mm -hmm. through this is that there's these dogs all over but the first on my first viewing i got really wound up watching orietta's like visually i was watching her look as they zoom in on her and that letter but what i missed was on the second watching dr harvard is saying something to the effect of maybe it's she's like maybe you know because she suggests maybe it's somebody who doesn't like her and he says Oh, women with their petty squabbles, a man, a professional, you know, would not have time for such witchiness, is what he says. Mm-hmm. And I thought, ah, meh, okay, maybe you're, the, you're one of the witches. You're just in white. You're just, 
you're not what we think we're going to see this lady in black with a green face. And instead, if you think back and you think about the other aunt or what, you know, maybe if it's Zelmer, maybe that she's in black but has that green on all the time. And maybe it's they're flipping the roles because that's what's going on in this kind of world, this episode. Yeah. Yep. Also, it could just be some social commentary on. Are we supposed to do that? Workplace. Um, Do you think the dog in Dr. Harvard's office mixed with his seemingly uh, attraction to African artwork is a reference to Africa by Toto? <laughs> no, I I disagree. I, I, you do. I've stated it is. my case. It seems very uh, obvious. Uh, what is your? Oh. I am having a hard time imagining Noah Hawley. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think we're gonna see orange beta carotene eaten oompa loompas with oompa loompas are from this one. And it's all going to be to the tune of Africa by Toto. Oh, man. Good Lord. Prove I don't even know wrong. what to say to Prove that. Prove me wrong. I, I can't do it. What? Is, that, is that that thing where you set up the desk? Mm-hmm. Convince me Convince mm-hmm. me otherwise? But do you want to make we're... a wager? Do you want to bet? Do you want to bet on whether or There's not the, no way the song we could Africa ever know this. plays no at way. some point in this season? I know you're singing it in your head right now. There you go. Uh, no more funerals, Sharpie. Okay. Cowardly act by a coward. <laughs> Dr. Harvard's a tool. He's, he's like the shitbag of all shitbags that run stuff like that. I don't know exactly what he's, he's mixed up in. I just know I'm, it's, he's built to not be likable, and he sure doesn't. Even his handshake which I won't mention what his handshake reminds me of. Somebody we know in the real world. Oh, God. Really? Did I did you see his, that. Didn't you see when she was shaking his hand, he did the pull-in thing, pulled him in a little, pulled her in a little when he no. needed this? Good catch, Billy boy. Yeah, well, careful. Too much political commentary. Um, <laughs> except that this show is... <laughs> Comment, constant commentary. Not our show. The show Fargo. The show um, Fargo is social and political commentary. I would say so. But I, there's two other, a couple other things I've noticed that I haven't, you know, been able to write, and I don't know what I'm seeing. Okay. Um, I, I had to admit, man, when they reintroduced Joe Bulo, I had to look at him, and I just thought, oh yeah, he's gonna be a Joe Bulo someday. <laughs> yeah, me <The> young- too. <laughs> The young Joe Bulo. Uh, I love that to, actor. It's like he's trying to make a Brad Garrett face. Oh, <laughs> it's gosh. like do your best, do your best, uh, Brad God. Garrett. When you're in here, just imagine Raymond is at the bar. Uh, but <laughs> man, yeah, Justo's such a colossal screw up, isn't he? He just he's really going with the flow. Whatever's he's just the guy does not have an actual plan, does he? No, he's got no plan, no he's, plan he's, whatsoever. Cause what was that? He's you know it says it got ordered. Doesn't matter by who. 
He has yeah, the best. I mean, I have the I have the best plans. It's gonna be beautiful. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean that is literally what it is. He is like you were just talking about Doctor Harvard as like a Trumpish character. Well, Justo is a Trumpish character. He's got no plan. He he just kind of skirts by everything. It's all about him. He's a he's a child. He's eating a huge messy plate of spaghetti with a big bib. He's too <laughs> well, small for all of his furniture. He I'd wear is, the bib. <laughs> I just love how they portray him though in this scene when Ebel comes back. Um, so everybody went over the river and through the woods from New York to grandmother's house. They come, house they come at Justo's club, <laughs> and uh, here they are, and they walk in. Justo's eating this huge plate of spaghetti, probably friggin' canned spaghettios, and every in in many of the shots, I should say, uh, in this scene, they just portray him to look like this little kid. He's drinking his Chianti out of like. A little glass, and maybe that's a well. That's maybe that's, that's a little. That's of the era. That's of the yeah. era. That's that's very normal, actually. But it looks like a can of. It looks like a cup of juice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you if you look through that scene, he's always made to be small. Yeah, uh, you know, like um, like even when uh, Calamita. If you think about the scenes, Calamita is always above, talking down to him, and the way they shoot it, um. Even when they go with the high angle, it's yeah, it's a mess. His plate is a mess too. God, now that you yeah, say that, yeah, his plate is a mess. I I feel bad for Ebel, man, because man, those stairs apparently <laughs> causing him a lot of trouble. <laughs> Somebody get a lift in there. Yeah, <laughs> he's really out of breath. <laughs> I just, but- I when I look at this scene, um. My my biggest takeaways are yes that he's he doesn't have actual plans which which leads me to say he's he's he doesn't have enough brains to form a plan mm-hmm. and on the flip side of it his brother doesn't have enough you know for instance I think Gaetano is um, acts ahead of anything and he's he's pro overly proactive and Justo is overly reactive. And somehow the middle of that is useless, is what they both become because of the other. Mm-hmm. But I got really on a long trail that I don't know if it means anything, but I just, you know me, I love the, I love the stuff in the backgrounds. Okay. Know? I love when and, you put stuff out in the background. Um, and everybody else does this, too. So... After this scene, and we cut, you know, so we cut away uh, to a scene, which is like, apparently like a, it's a, we, we go to present day Loy at his desk, right? Mm. But then he's kind of hearing things. He's, he's remembering a conversation mm-hmm. and they're asking, you ever miss New York? And Doc is talking, you know, he and, he and Doc are talking, but they, they cut to this and they want us to see it because it yeah. starts out in the blurry and eventually, it the, the focus of the camera shows us what it is, and what it is 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 a person beheaded on the steps, and you can see somebody standing over them. Um, and so I had to find out, you know, who who painted this. And did you find uh, it? I did. Yes, amazing. The title. I don't know how title, you did it. I was looking all over for this. The title of this painting. Uh, 
is if you and if you want to see it, guess where the painting is. What do you it's mean? Guess Paris. where it is? Oh, it's in Paris. Like if you want to go see it right now, it's oh. in Paris. <laughs> um, the it is long title. It is execution without trial under the Moorish kings of Grenada. And it is in, oops, I just closed a window by mm. accident. Um, but it's, yeah, it's this, it's this vivid and it's a very violent looking image. Uh, and it, they, according to uh, this site that I found something on, they said it's a vivid, violent, vivid, violent image re- reflects the European fascination with the supposed tyranny of Oriental despots. It depicts an ex- execution where both perpetrator and victims are Moors the European term for the Muslims who ruled Spain and North Africa in the medieval period. But it's a commentary on Middle Eastern politics and governance. Mm. Uh, And the painter's name is, uh, I'm going to screw that up, it's uh, Henry Regnault. It's R-E-G-N-A-U-L-T. The guy did not have a lot of stuff, um, a lot of famous work, um, but... Strange he's enough. Good. So he and he's a French painter, and he died in one of the last battles of the uh, Franco-Prussian War. Wow! So he himself died in a war. So yeah, that is just just great very stuff, Bill. Just very interesting that they they re- I mean they. They they take it from out of focus to completely in focus and pan up it. It's this is not just a hmm, that's an interesting painting. This this is all very well thought out storytelling, and that's why I like to appreciate these things. But mm. pretty cool. It's it's well, <laughs> sorry if I just called a painting of a beheading. Pretty cool. So, yeah, <laughs> so now that we know, uh, so we know Fargo's a true story. So. Cannon <laughs> right. probably escapes. Loy escapes to Paris, where he brings the painting with him, alone. He, he's the sole survivor of this whole thing. It's him and his little painting of a, a chopped off head, and he brings it. No, it's him and Joe Bulo. They go off gallivanting in Paris <laughs> together. Joe Bulo ends up returning, uh, ironically, to get his head cut off. Where do you, where do you, how much fan fiction do you write? I really should get into some fan fiction. That sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> Fargo fan fiction. Can you imagine? Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. Anyway, getting back to, <laughs> getting away from, getting away from the carrots for a minute. Um, yeah, he so he sends Otis. We see all that. He goes to see him. You know, I, I, all I wrote in my thing was kid swapping time, and then Otis gets out of the car. Um, he's counting on his fingers: one, two, three, four, five; one, two, three, four, five for all those ten little Indians. Did you did you catch on your second watch? Because I wrote, I couldn't figure out who the narrator's voice was, and I realized I was having a little crossover because we're in this like wicked space of Otis's head where he's counting, and we're hearing another voice and. I thought Did it was catch? his voice. It's not his voice. It was, it's Satchel. It's, it's, oh, we're, you mean when we, Satchel's we're, reading from the book? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's reading from it. Um, like, we hear his voice, like, right as he comes in the door, and it's just so clear. It's not, like, off-camera right. Right, you know? that was he's, weird. 
we're actually we're actually hearing it. Um, but did you did you catch what he was reading? I did check it out. Tell me more. Oh my God! He, Sharpie is currently holding up a copy of the book. I've got he's... it. He's reading "The Jungle" by Upton Sinclair. Hmm. Which is I you don't know, have what... the cool original version. I just have the regular paperback. old paperback. Paperback. So, in your book, is that uh, chapter twenty-seven, page two? Oh, that is a fun little exercise. Let's I'm just find out. asking. I don't know if that's for real. It's definitely chapter 27, I think. I like how he just said, definitely, I think. Either way, he's saying, there is one kind of prison where the man is behind bars and everything that he desires is outside. And there is another kind where the things are behind bars and the man is outside. I have not had enough time to chew through that. But I still think about the lion pacing in the cage and then the talk about the tiger, um, which, by the way, um, if we get super deep into the Wizard of Oz, and I'm going to screw this up because I didn't get all of it um, figured out, but the, but I won't, hang tight and come back to your Upton Sinclair, but the, the lion and the tiger, um, the lion and the Wizard of Oz is also a tiger at some point, I think, in like later books. What? Really? Yeah. What do you got there? So you did you find the, what is that? Has it been a long? I have not read, uh, that book, The Jungle. Um, no. I'm just trying to skim to see if it's from the actual place in the show, but I can't find it. Um, oh. so this book, The Jungle, is basically about um, the struggles of immigrant life in like factory driven cities in America like Chicago is where the jungle takes place um the family that i believe it's following is i think uh, lithuanian i wanted to say i could be wrong on that but uh-huh. they work in a so they're immigrants uh in Chicago and they are trying to make a living in a meat packing plant yeah um, that's right so that's interesting because we know that um both the gangs are in the meat packing business in Kansas City um, so, well, the slaughter business, I guess you could say, yeah. which is a little bit different, um, or maybe the same, who knows, but, um, the book, The Jungle, brought about, um, so the author, Upton Sinclair, actually went undercover, he was a journalist, he went undercover and worked in actual meatpacking plants to study for this book, and wrote this fiction piece, but, you know, based on a lot of realities, a lot of those realities being basically the harsh conditions of these working environments uh, for immigrants and just like how unsafe and unhealthy and low paying they are. And just how like, this is the price. This is the price of America. Basically. It's just like being built on all these immigrants backs for next to nothing. And they're dying. The book is like incredibly sad. Um, So if you're looking for a real downer, I highly recommend it, but it actually did. It actually did uh, quite a lot. It inspired the, um, it inspired like a lot of new protocols for safety in, yes, and stuff like much. that in in meat pack in the meat packing industry. Um, it ends with um, 
I, if you do actually want to read it, I'm sure most of you ha- have read about it or know about it. There's, I think we're well past the spoiler-free zone, 1906. <laughs> <laughs> um, it ends with... Uh, Basically, the main character kind of, you know, finding new light in socialism. There's kind of this socialist uprising where that particular quote that you read that Satchel uh, read in the show has been like kind of heavily scrutinized. And there's lots of people that have written articles on that specific quote and talk about how it's just like this uh, statement on property and what is property and like do we really own property or should we own property? And it goes into like this kind of like socialist sort of Mm -hmm. vein there. So that's kind of what Satchel is reading uh, from this book. But that's kind of the gist of it. Um, Good kid stuff. Yeah, real good kid stuff. So I don't know. I mean, you could probably write a whole essay on what that means within this show. I I bet you could go a million different ways. Like what is, you Mm -hmm. could go the socialist way or you could go like the struggling immigrant route um, yes. where all these people are just basically struggling to survive in America and what is America. And, and all the things you have to do to try do that, you know? Yeah. And the transition of, we've seen it many times in the show where people come in poor and destitute, work their way up, become criminals, and then eventually become Dead. not criminals. <laughs> no, not, but I'm saying some yeah. of them don't know. Some of them, they work their way into politics and power and, you know, money and wealth do that but uh the but yeah so he's he's reading about that but um what was the what was the phrase somewhere in there when he's reading that i just thought it very interesting they said he would get two loaves of bread for a nickel which is five cents two two and five Mm. was the other comment in there yeah so that uh, author was basically became famous for that book for basically exposing a bunch of government corruption. Yeah. So, so. just to just to come back to the thing I mentioned because I, I I pulled up a thing I forgot I had I had a link here in my notes. Um, this is from the Oz fandom page, but there mm. there is a short story written by L. Frank Baum who wrote The Wizard of Oz, and uh, it was one of the six little wizard stories of Oz, and the title of it was The Cowardly Lion and the Hungry Tiger. And it says, the synopsis is, the cowardly lion and the hungry tiger have grown bored with their guard duty at Ozma's throne at the royal palace of the Emerald City. The lion wants to attack a man and make, quote, chop suey of him. The tiger longs at last to satisfy his hunger for a fat baby. The two cats prowl the Emerald Streets with mayhem in mind. Neither cat, however, can bring himself to fulfill his darker desires. The two end up saving a lost child and returning him to his mother. Hmm. Hmm. Very interesting. So who's the tiger? Hard to say at this point. Fat baby. Fat baby. Wait, that's a... Isn't that a Lyle Lovett song? Fat baby's got no pride? Mm-hmm. <laughs> how, do, how does it go again? I mean, I know the song, I, but... Could, could you explain it to the audience? No. <laughs> I'm not, not doing it. Not doing fat babies got no pride. Hey, yeah, that's their candy pants. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Lyle Lovett song. <laughs> what your candy pants is all about. Um, we get back into the uh, the office. The old, the good old Josto's 
little guy big chair office and i thought it very interesting that his office walls are all yellow and his tie is yellow Mm -hmm. because you know maybe he's one of those things but i did catch a funny thing where when he's bugging otis about what happened he's like a donkey and they're all super confused about the donkey and in his like total like nervous tiktok he actually says he ha yeah (laughs) i didn't didn't catch that the first time Uh, that was so good he ha the thing I couldn't figure out was there's this figurine because I love figurines facing Ebel and I couldn't tell if it was a rabbit or a fox or something because there was like a rabbit I think uh, next to um, Doctor in the, throw, the, the, the flashback scene I forgot about to mention that but oh yep I'm I'm getting too too far down the thing, but um, I, the only thing I'll, I'll notice that it was t- coming to our like our double visions of people, our you know like shadows of people was uh, I noticed that Calamito was being questioned about whose side he was on, and he's the only person in the scene reflected in the mirror. For the most part, so there's two. You see Calamita twice mm-hmm. in the the framing of the shot from the uh from the wide shot from the corner of the room, so. Fun stuff. That is fun. Man, that scar on his face really bothers me. I think there's something to it. It's the, it's the circle. There's something, there's been little circles all over this show. Yeah, we haven't gotten quite to the bottom of that yet. What do you make of Antoon when he comes into the room? Before, I mean, and we, this is prior to us hearing his backstory. Mm-hmm. He, did you, did you notice something about th- that he, he didn't, at first, I thought he cared about the kid, and then I realized he didn't say anything about not wanting to kill the kid at first. He said, kill your brother? Kill Zero? He's worried that that's who's going to die? He, right, he, he exactly. Was, he was worried that was going to cause somebody else's death, but not the whole take the kid for a ride shit. What did you think of that whole deal? Um, I guess I didn't think that, but that is a good point. I do think he cares about the kid a little bit, I mean... Oh, I don't know. It is tough. I mean, obviously we know the end, so he we know that he had a little bit of emotion at that at that very last second, but leaving that out, he was still going to go do it and he didn't really say anything. Like he just was like when he was talking to his wife, Nanita, she he was just like you know, it just kind of the look on his face was kind of like, well, biz, it's business, you know. Business is business. And he's going to go take the kid for a ride, but you're right. I mean, he did Kind of say, you know, what about your brother? What about Zero? And still, like, yeah. even even about Zero, uh, Josto didn't really seem to care. Yep, they well, might he, kill him, but they might not. We'll it was see. almost more. It was almost like initially in that office scene, he was questioning more Josto's plan and the the things that would happen due to not thinking enough. Mm. Yeah, good point. And then and that pisses off Josto, but I think. I think the thing that made him change his heart was hugging his kids. Oh, that was the truth. Because they all said they wanted to go for a ride. And I'm sure in his mind, he's like, oh, God, I'm taking this kid for a quote-unquote ride. Yeah, I think you're right. That was the turning point for him was when the kids came up to him and they wanted to be, they just wanted to be with him because they hadn't seen, they don't get to see Mm -hmm. him during the day. And then they, when he's out at that relocation camp, 
the sound of the kids' laughter and playfulness is in his mind because they're playing it for us. Yeah. So he's, you know to, he's thinking you, about them. Could you figure out what show they were watching? I wasn't no. sure what that would have been. I, I felt, tried to. I mean, it, was, it was clearly like a traditional Western-y kind of yeah. show, but I couldn't figure it out. Usually in these Coen Brothers um, productions, that does symbolize something, what, whatever's on the TV. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't have a chance to look into it. Sorry. Sorry, gang. It's okay. So here's my one case for the fact that Josto has become more of a scarecrow. The fact that okay, he can't let's get his... It. Because he can't get his lighter to light, he would it light himself on fire. Wow, I like it. He'd burn, and so somebody else has to light it for him. Or he's just stupid and can't light a lighter. He's also a child, like you were saying. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's not a man of skill it's, in so many ways. He's got the special like child lock on it. That's <laughs> why he can't. <laughs> he can't light he's it, He's got yeah. that ring on there where he can't light it because yeah. it's a child lock. And so oh that, that whole God. scene happens, and obviously that's what sets Rabbi off. And he, he, goes, he goes running and has the uh, feverish scene with um, Danita. Is that what you said her name was? Nanita. Nanita. No, I'm sorry. Nanita. Um, and we eventually we go to uh, Camp Elegance Relocation Center, which, by the way, has two stars um, on either side of camp. Oh, I thought you were rating of, it. It's only no. a two-star relocation two, center. Don't recommend. It was a Yelp review. Prisoner of the World Internet. War II? Italian? Well, German? Well, Japanese? Boy, don't. You know what, Sharpie? Don't we know if you ask for a rating? Boy, you, you're going to get what people think, and that's okay. Thank Might you, Might I everybody. recommend this two-star relocation center? Mm-hmm, Camp mm-hmm. Elegance for all your relocation needs. Oh, God. Uh, did you, did you look up any of this? I didn't, I didn't have a chance to find out if this actually happened and I feel like we should have, like, did we actually take, did we get Italian prisoners It sure did. It happened. Tell me what you found out. mass. Um. I mean, I know about the Japanese internment camps, but did we, we really took prisoners of war from Italy and brought them to can, by which, by the way, we finally crossed, we're in Kansas City, Kansas, Mm -hmm. which is where that takes place. Yeah, so uh, there were, at its peak, I'm getting all this from Wikipedia, by the way, our sponsor, Um, not. Uh, Yeah, at its peak in 1945, a total of 425,871 POWs were held in U.S. relocation camps. Mm. Half a million POWs, and these were Germans, they were Japanese, they were Italians, they were... Well, I can tell you, 371,000 Germans, 50,000 Italians, and about 4,000 Japanese. And these but were any were any of them actually in? Uh, they these Kansas camps were not? all over the United States, with the exception they were in every state except Nevada, Vermont, and North Dakota. North Dakota did not have any camps. Um. But uh, in Kansas, I think there was only oh, one, boy. and I believe it was Concordia, which Camp is where Concordia. you spent some time. <laughs> At Concordia College in Minnesota. Nice. I didn't hold any Italians hostage. <laughs> um, but about 90% of Italians in these camps um, 
formed what was called the Italian Service Units, or ISUs, in which they worked in army depots, they worked in arsenals, on farms, in hospitals, and stuff like that, as they kind of became Americans. Yeah. Um, And those things were crazy. If you read about them, I mean, I didn't really know that much about them. It's weird that we don't, you know, learn about all of these prison camps we have in the United States in our history class. Um, Is it? (laughs) But the Germans, the German prisoners, like there were a lot of like, I mean, these were true Nazis. And sure, there were some Germans that just kind of got caught up in the mix, but they actually had to separate out like the Nazi Nazis and the regular just prisoner of war Germans because Mm. the Nazi Nazi Germans would be like, murdering and killing the other prisoners who weren't, like, totally gung-ho Nazi. Yeah. Either so, way, a tough, tough situation, stuff. you know, because he, he came through the Battle of Monte Cassino, which is a major, major battle uh, on the Italian uh, front of World War II. Uh, lots of, you know, a lot of casualties. A lot of things happened. Very, um... Well, war war is grim. Uh, we don't we don't need to educate people on that, but but uh, interesting to see his sort of American dream. You know, the big American yellow, the yellow American suns. Here comes the yellow again, right? Mm-hmm. And he harvest harvest wheat. all of this. Yeah, and he it, he talks about corn and wheat and all of these things, and so. Unfortunately, in another act of like, oh shit, if only, if only, uh, you know, maybe if only Rabbi had come up from the other side, he would see he was not going to kill Satchel. Yeah. And man, here's what struck me when I watched, the second time I watched with headphones on, I don't remember why, but um, yeah, Fields of Corn, Land of Plenty, it's, you know, and he's like, it's in the Constitution. Um. Really weird when he went down. If you look at the end of that scene where Antoon is just laying there, he's literally so everything on him is straight, like like a like a scarecrow in a weird mm-hmm. way. And his hat is off his he's head. He's got that long gold coat. And that coat and uh, there's crows. Obviously, crows exist everywhere. I get it, but I just thought it very interesting that there were all these crows in the the background uh audio of that that scene and but at the same time it's also sad that he has kind of returned to the place where he found hope and has died there mm-hmm. you know his american dream started and ended right there in it within feet of of this place and real real it's tragic you know that is Cause for sure that that despite despite him being on the wrong thing, he chose to be was in a camp, became an American, got caught up in some things, but was making a right choice, and and is now paid the the, the price for for being involved mm-hmm. with with that. And um, you know, in in the jungle, the main character comes is in America, working hard, just trying to make a good life and and become and live that American dream. And ultimately, he just kind of gets caught up in the world of crime and becomes a con man. It's tough. It's a lot of toughness. Uh, and this kind of brings me, I mean, do you have any other like major points as we round out, like anything interesting? Well, um, 
I don't know, but you brought you brought up some good points with the scarecrow references or potential references to possible scarecrows. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe I mean maybe the Fada Mafia is the scarecrow. I don't know. It's hard because there's also there was also references with Swanee and Selmar. Mostly Swanee to me, but Mostly yeah, you Swanee, might be right. Yeah. You know, like the whole family is kind of caught up in this this stuff. But uh, one of the emails I got, and I feel like I should double check it to see who said it. But maybe more than one of you said it. Um, the thought was, I I can't get deep into my email. There's too many here. Um, so I apologize. You know who you are, you smarty pantses out there. Um. And it's got me really thinking, and I know for a fact that on Twitter, um, that Mark, uh, a, a listener, Mark commented on it, that there is a possibility that Satchel is Dorothy because he's the one who want, needs to get home, you know, kind of like Dorothy. Mm-hmm. Like, Ethel Rita has a home. That's true. You know, she's not anywhere, and this whole end scene You'll notice that if we're going to get into the movie Wizard of Oz, Satchel is wearing this. And I commented back right before we started recording to Mark that, wow, yeah, Sat, you're, you, you might have something going there because Satchel is wearing this red slash ruby hat the whole time. Mm-hmm. And it's just pretty. Hmm, pre- I like pretty, that too. Pretty, pretty, yeah, we got a lot of good listeners and we like having these dialogues with you guys. Uh I also thought, wow, that what a scene with um, Rabbi saying, you know, I never got to choose. I was a child soldier. And he's just saying, so when this is all done, when it gets quiet or what it is, not what he said, when everything's quiet down. And he says, uh, you choose. You can go back to your family or anything else. And that's, this makes me wonder if he chooses to not go back to his family and if he does become Mike Milligan. I don't know. Hmm. I, could, I mean, Mike Milligan and Joe Bulo end up meeting up in Kansas together. Maybe Joe, maybe the Joe Bulo we saw save Satchel for some reason, and they swoop yeah. out of there Ooh, and become that could best be crazy. buddies. Yeah. I thought it also very kind of like uh, there, there's a little bit of heart in there too where you see um, – when Satchel says, I'm scared, and even Rabbi says, me too. I thought that was good, even though we've, you know. Yeah, so who are the Tin Men? I don't know. There's definitely some scenes where I think it might be Loy. There's times where I see the kind of gray clothing that, that, um, that Rabbi, and, like, rabbi is wearing. Yeah, uh, yeah if we're going to play gray, off the- head to toe, he's got his, like, Little tiny hat yeah. on top of his head. That little brown, that little brown hat he wears. Yeah. But I don't know who knows. But you know, in his and is in the end, is America the Wizard of Oz has been brought up. I know we've mentioned it, or did I mention that? Or I know I read it. Somebody sent it in. You, we talked about it. <laughs> yeah, I just, it's we all starting an, to run together. Dude. We did an after show all about it. <laughs> okay. Like, is that what we talked about the other night? Yeah. Oh, did God, you, I'm sorry. Do you remember to put that in the show, Bill? <laughs> I don't know. 
I, it's seriously, <laughs> dude, like with all of this lockdown and what we're doing, it's just I'm inside. I do all these things. I don't go anywhere. I, I record. We stop recording. Then usually, depending on how much stuff I've got to do work-wise, sometimes we talk more theory or we realize things and then we talk for an hour or so. Then eventually I say like six times, I got to go. <laughs> and then I spend like two more hours cutting down the show if it needs any. Then somewhere it's three in the morning and I'm like, oh, God dang it. I got to go to fucking bed. Oh, Why do what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going <laughs> to... Really we're trying to end the show and you end it with, so what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? Not, this is the Midwestern long goodbye if I've ever seen one. It is. Um, goodbye, Bill. Goodbye. I'm hanging up. That's the show. <laughs> I think you're right. This show, was, this show was about getting a lot of balls moving. The staccato was still right. It's on. It's on now. Yep, we're at the halfway mark. Exactly. Like, and if this is war, there's going to be some grossness happening. We'll see you in episode seven. Pass it on. Goodbye.